With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Oh, one more beer, Podcast Miller and Dace. It's been a while. Happy New Year to each and every one of you out there. And uh, a few things have happened since Steve and I last rocked the mic. So let's go back before we go forward and talk Iowa football. Steve, the Pinstripe Bowl, the Iowa Hawkeyes won 27 to 20. Broke their uh, was it five game bowl losing streak. Iowa's last bowl win before the Pinstripe Bowl was. Um, against Missouri in the 2000, yeah, 2010 yeah. Insight Bowl. I was at that game. And since then, I think they played three, three ranked teams. One time where Iowa, Iowa was ranked, of course, for the Rose Bowl and got smoked by Stanford, but then played a ranked Florida team and a ranked LSU team and did not fare so well and also lost to Tennessee in the Tax Slayer Bowl. But, um, Iowa had a, a, Decent matchup, you might say. Then again, Iowa was seven and five going into this game. The first half looked pretty poor for the Hawkeyes, but they turned it around in the second half on probably some of the worst field conditions I have ever seen. Certainly in a bowl game, one of the I think top ten coldest bowl games at kickoff we've ever seen. And hopefully, it's the last time Iowa ever plays in that atrocious monstrosity known as the Pinstripe Bowl. What a joke! that the Big Ten is even involved in that? Well, when you get outsold by Boston College, yeah, and and you're the school that's kind of known for traveling masses, if you were trying to send a message to suburban Chicago, I'm guessing they got it. <laughs> so... Um, I don't think you have to worry about getting booked for another trip out there, maybe like ever. And you're right about those field conditions. You know what it reminded me of when we were kids watching, you know, Redskin playoff games in January at the old RFK Stadium. Remember that? Yeah. 
Yeah, where the, where, where the fuel looked great because they would paint it right before the game, but you could tell it was painted. The grass was in a really good shape, you know, East Coast, wintertime. And, you know, it was a mosh pit between the, the 40s at midfield. And all the logos were pretty much gone and players were skating around. And it was bad enough you had to play the uh, the Hogs in their prime, but became really hard to rush the passer when you're out there on skates because they're just moving you around that slick field. It looked a lot like that. Uh, it's a game, frankly, if you look at looked at the box score, Iowa had no business winning it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- they, they found a way uh, to persevere, hang around. Uh, Akron Wadley, of course, made a couple of big plays uh, down the stretch, and and Iowa gets a, a much needed and rare these days anyway bowl victory. When it really, for the longest time, it did not even seem to me like Iowa was even in a bowl game because of what you just talked about. I just, I never would have believed there was just this little energy for a bowl game. And the last time I can think of of, of this happening with an in-state team. Oh, you know where I'm going, brother. The uh, Crucial.com Humanitarian Bowl presented by... Larry Miller's Automotive. Larry Miller's Automotive Group. Yeah, we're... <laughs> one, of the few, one of the few times I got in a hot water with Dan McCartney. We were such good buds. But one of the few times I got in a hot water with Dan is when I once cracked on the air that that bowl game wasn't a reward but a sentencing. Yeah, Dan didn't like that. Well, um... Iowa fans treated this game like that, but they got out of there with a win. And you know what? Eight and five sounds better than seven and six. It does, and, and I and I said this in my instant reaction podcast, and because I was thinking about about it uh, at halftime of that game, and, and things weren't looking so good for Iowa. But I'm thinking to myself, I, I can't say this if Iowa loses because it will sound like sour grapes. But since they won, I could say it. You know. Bowl games that are not the playoff or not the traditional, you know, New Year's Six games, if you will, that we kind of grew up with, that have a little more juice, like the Rose, the Orange, the Sugar, the Fiesta, etc., and, and the Cotton. The Cotton certainly has seen its stature um, rise back up in recent years, considering where it's played now. If you're not in those games, these bowl games really are mostly beneficial for program development. And that's about it. You'll hear coaches say it's a reward for the players. I don't know if it's a reward, frankly. I mean, Iowa didn't go out to its bowl destination, whether it was going to be New York or somewhere else. They weren't going to go until about three days before the game, as you know, they're trying to treat it more and more like a business trip. As a and they've used some of those that terminology. Well, a business trip is that a reward? I don't know how many times I've felt rewarded for going on a business trip to, say, Indianapolis in April to stand in a uh, trade show booth for two days. That's not a reward. It's a business trip. And for some of these guys... It depends on the business you're in and how much you like your wife would be my guess. Go on. Yeah. And and for some of these guys who have NFL aspirations, um, it's just another opportunity to get hurt. Maybe Akram Wadley was able to add another layer, uh, another dimension to his, you know, marketability in the league with what he did in the return game there, because that's probably going to be something he'll do at the next level. But by and large, I, there is no reward at all for this. So really, the only benefit to these exhibitions 
is is the additional practice time. And for the fans, if you go to Tampa or you go to San Antonio or you go to Miami or Southern California, that, that you know that's great. But New York, dude, it, it's it, it's not it's it's not a reward. It's just not. And, and they just, but more so than anything, the importance. Or the ramifications. Maybe it's emotional, psychological as much as real, but they tend to bleed into one another. I Had Iowa lost that game, Steve, the next nine months would have been a just cumulative misery index, the likes we haven't experienced for some time. But since they won that one game and they went eight and five instead of seven and six, it won't be as it, it won't be that way. They'll get the benefit of the misery index doubt uh, amongst all but the most staunch detractors and those that have been beset most of all by Ferentz fatigue. And it just seems a little silly that had they lost, a lot of people would have come unglued. But now that they won, everything's hunky-dory with a lot of people. And, And neither of those things is likely true. But, boy, these exhibitions sure seem to have carry a lot more psychological significance than they probably should. Well, here's the thing. Last year, all but one bowl game, the, there was only one bowl game that didn't draw over a million viewers on television. To put that in perspective, that's... That's what Morning Joe, uh, the show that the President of the United States obsessively tweets about, that's their total audience. And only one bowl game last year didn't draw more than their total audience. I think it was about half of the bowl games, around 20 of them, drew 4 million or more viewers. Wow, that's a big number. Are you sure about that? To put that in yeah, it's 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 a it's a big number. That's crazy. Maybe maybe it, maybe it's twelve of them did, but it's it's a big number. I know it's double figures. To put that in perspective, the number one cable network right now in terms of total viewership is no longer ESPN; it's Fox News. Their entire prime time lineup is about four million viewers. And so when you look at when you look at the 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 viewership these bowl games are drawing um i mean college football is at a crescendo right now you only get 13 opportunities and that's if your favorite team's good enough you only get 13 opportunities to see your favorite team and then after that last opportunity you don't get another one for eight months and i got a little personal experience from the last week or so of what it's like and what it's going to be like for the next eight months when you show your ass on that <laughs> television in that game. Okay? So it does mean a lot. The reality is that game doesn't mean any differently than Nebraska or Purdue at the end of the year. You can make an argument after you're out of the conference race, they're all exhibitions at that point. What's the? It doesn't really matter. Because the only thing you're playing for at that point is bowl slotting, and then a bowl, if the bowl game in, in itself is meaningless, then the Purdue game's meaningless, then Nebraska game's meaningless. You know, so I, I I don't think fans view them as meaningless at all. I think the television ratings indicate that, 
it's not quite as meaningful as it used to be with so many bowl games. It's it's much easier getting to bowl games than it used to be. You know, it's funny as we're watching Central Florida kind of troll the college football playoff by giving itself fake national championships. And almost every power conference team in America has some form of disputed national championship that it's counting as a national title. I think even Alabama has like three of them in the past. But, you know, I went back and looked at BYU is the last non-major school to be awarded a national championship. And I went back and looked at their schedule in 1984. And they did open up by winning at number three Pitt back, you know, in that era when Pitt was considered great. But that Pittsburgh team finished 3-7-1 and one that year. Their next best win was over the second place team in the WAC, Hawaii, who went 7-4. and four. In their bowl game, they beat Michigan, who was 6-5. and five. And there was a huge controversy that year over whether Michigan should be even in a bowl game or not. Because those were still considered awards or rewards, and they had had a, a bad season at six and five, you know. And so that's how you know the level of meaning has changed compared to when you and I were kids. But I still think when you only have so many opportunities to watch your favorite team, and because I, I would make the argument because they mean so much in terms of development, that yeah. When, when you have 15, when your when your head coach has your coaching staff has 15 practices to prepare you for one game, and you go out there and look the way a certain Big Ten team looked in Tampa Bay on national television, yeah, I don't think as a fan base you can you probably can overreact to that, especially because in a few weeks your season ticket renewal for next year will be in the mail, and chances are they won't be cheaper than they were the year before. So I, I, don't, I, don't think they're, I don't think they're overrated at all. I just think they're rated differently than they used to be. Maybe so. Um, the, there were 14 games that did $4 million last year, which is still a huge number, but 18 of them did at least $3 million, which I would have been shocked at that. That is – that's pretty staggering. Um some news this week for Iowa football. Josh Jackson, uh, no surprise, foregoing his final year of eligibility at Iowa and is entering the NFL draft. And a little surprising to me now, even though the beginning of the year I was writing and talking about, you know, we need to worry about James Daniels having an NFL decision at the end of the year. The way the regular season played out, um, and, and maybe it, it, it wasn't as much Daniels' fault likely as it was Iowa having to play two freshmen at tackle most of the year. I, I thought Daniels might stick around because I felt that maybe this year's film might not pop. But he's a true junior. He's 20. And he's probably going to get drafted. He announced for the NFL draft as a center, which, you know, centers don't normally get picked all that high. But he's certainly going to make it. So I think Iowa was in a better position to replace Jackson. They're not going to replace a guy that gets eight interceptions. I'm not saying somebody's going to step in and be Josh Jackson. I think Iowa is better suited to withstand the loss of Jackson than they are to withstand the loss of your center James Daniels. That's going to leave a really big hole for an offensive line next year. I, every time Iowa loses a center and has to transition, I cringe. Uh, you know, people talk about your left tackle is your most important lineman if you got a right-handed quarterback. But man, 
at center is uh, really important, really important at the college game. That's a big loss. We have we've had a center and a punter. GoPro early this year. Texas's punter declared early for the NFL draft. And if you watched him in their bowl game, somebody, I think it was Bill Connolly at SB Nation, compared it, said this was the Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan Utah Jazz NBA Finals version of punting because <laughs> the guy was so good. But I, I bring that up because I, when was the last time I can think of a center going pro early? It doesn't happen very often. Usually they are the elite. You've got to be the elite. Remington Award as a junior or something. Yes, uh, to to get to be a first round pick as a center, it, it doesn't happen very often, uh, you know. So I, I wish the kid luck. That's that tells me that that's a kid maybe with some kind of economic need, which is fine. I don't or think so. I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, I, I I have a hard time believing he's going to be a, a number one draft pick at center. Well, but, no, I mean centers don't go in the first round. I mean he's probably like a fifth or sixth rounder. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It's it's interesting. You know, I, Iowa struggled on the offensive line this year, and again, we talked about it multiple times with Ike Becker and Boone Myers out. You know, two fifth year senior, three year starters at offensive line. You thought you'd have, but you didn't, uh, which I, I think certainly exacerbated a lot of the inexperience Iowa had at receiver and quarterback, etc. But I don't know. I I, I don't want to sit here and, and, and bang on development. Uh, and I'm not at practices, so I don't know Tim Polasek. I, you know, some of the some of the videos that I've seen from Iowa practice that we've all seen, I just kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit and thought, hmm, he's kind of a yeller, kind of a screamer. So I don't know. I don't know. It, it was curious. I was surprised by that for sure. I mean, if I was the kid, if you don't have a financial need, then I don't know why I wouldn't want to have Kirk Ferentz coach me for another year. I, I don't know how that hurts my NFL draft stock and you know if, if if anything ask him say hey switch me to guard let me put on tape their NFL scouts that you know I'm I'm scheme versatile I'm position versatile I can play other positions but I don't know I I, I just I, I saw the decision and I, I gave it to Spock one eyebrow because I I did remember you saying something about that early in the year and I remember thinking at the time uh why he's a center but Okay. I wish him luck. I hate to see kids come out and not get paid and leave eligibility on the table. Unless, it, it, Listen, I'm the last person to say, unless you're just tired of being a student, I totally get. I got tired of being a college student, too. You're tired, you're tired of classes and testing and everything else, and, and your real major is football. I get it. Nothing wrong with that. You want to go pro? Yeah. Cool. Just, you know, I might be waiting for the third day of the NFL draft. I'd probably take those first couple of days off, you know, chill for a bit. Right. And and that's not that's not James Daniels. I mean, he and LaShun, excellent students, uh, great family. Uh, you know, one, one thing that does come to mind, he he's missed time with the knee in both years. And maybe it's just a matter of, you know, um, I only got so much tread on these tires. And if I'm going to play another year of football, maybe I should get paid for it because I don't know how many years I will get paid for it if I can't hold up. Obviously, if he has you know structural damage, the NFL doctors are going to find that out. I'm not saying that either, but uh, he was hurt a couple of years, so I don't know. Well, now, now you keep everything you're telling me is not making me feel better. So you're telling me a guy who likes to be a good student doesn't have a financial need, 
but has a history, an injury history at a position that is not traditionally valued very highly. Yeesh. Okay. Yeah, it's not making you, you feel know? good about I mean, his chances, you're saying. No, it, it, you know, it's a little bit like being the leading rusher for a Big Ten team and transferring to Stony Brook, but all right, good luck to you. You know, I, it doesn't make much sense to me, I, and I and, and I hope it works. I don't I don't, don't like seeing young men blow opportunities. You know, the last few years, you know, we had hoped with the new collective bargaining agreement, it would actually cut down on early entries, and it, the exact opposites happened. So, um, you know, we've got way too many guys. Well, it, it hasn't. I should let me re, let me rephrase that. It has cut down on early entrants. But now we've got more kids per capita, not early entrants, not getting drafted mm-hmm. uh, because the kids that are marginal are all making bad decisions because, well, I might as well get my clock started. Well, you might have a different clock than everybody else. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm not saying James Daniels going pro is the same as Tanner Lee telling us he's declaring early for the NFL draft. I mean, I think, you know, um, that might be a news flash to the NFL, but uh, I, I just I, I didn't get the decision. It, may, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I yeah, Tanner, Tanner Tanner Lee's makes a lot more sense. I mean, he's going to be a sixth-year senior. Remember, you got that extra year of eligibility back from the Big Ten this off-season. Yeah, I well, where it doesn't make any sense is he's operating the presumption that he would get drafted. I'll I'll, I'll bet you right now he's on a 53-man roster to start of next season. You think so? Yep. What do you want to bet? I don't know. I'll bet, bet you a cherry vanilla. I'll bet you a vanilla Coke Zero. I was thinking the Viscacci at uh, Palmer's Deli the next time we go. I can I can handle that. Yeah, All right. All right. we'll split it. Okay. All right. And not a practice squad. It's got to be a fifty-three. I said man fifty-three roster. man roster. All right. I okay. didn't say practice squad, bro. Right. I'm gonna suck out. I'm gonna suck out of that one. <laughs> I just wanted to. I just wanted to clarify. I mean, Listen, I, I don't know. I. There'll be enough people listening to this that probably agree with you and not me. They'll they'll keep track of this for us. I mean, oh, most yeah. NFL teams now are only keeping two quarterbacks. So, you mean to tell me that between who's in the NFL right now and what's coming out, you can't come up with 64 quarterbacks better than Tanner Lee? I'm pretty sure you can. Last time I made a wager like this was with Matt Peralt. And... He was it. Was, who was the guy that was the uh, Arizona State or Arizona quarterback that was been with the Eagles and bounced around? What's his name? Nick Foles. Nick Foles. Yeah. He he was all Blaine Gabbert, and I said Nick Foles is going to have a better NFL career. I think I won that. Yeah, last time I did this, I bet your entire fan base that uh, Jake Rudock would be on an NFL roster. I'm on year three with that actually. So. Well, I'm going doing pretty well on that one. At least Jimmy has had right, one. We'll at least Jimmy's had one quarterback. <laughs> That's for another right, we'll podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. I, okay. I I have a hard time seeing a guy with accuracy and turnover issues getting draft, get, making an uh, NFL you, roster. Uh, but you, you, watched, you might be right. You, you watched the uh, the Bills Jaguars football game today. <laughs> and so, do you think Tanner Lee's the answer to that equation? Well, I'm just saying, dude. <laughs> It ain't like the, the it ain't like there's a whole league full of Hall of Famers right about now. All right, that I was mean, freaking brutal. Nathan, yeah, but look at Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman was lighting up national champion Clemson last year. That was you know when he was at Pitt, and they went in there and they won that game. 
So uh, th- th- let me just say this already. I'll, I'll grant your Where's point. Where's Peter Manette? He's the, he came in for Tyrod Taylor when he got hurt today in the playoffs. Uh, let's see. I, I, I only watched if, the first if we, half. We have already debated Tanner Lee more than he deserves. Yeah, exactly. I will, grant, let's I will grant your point just so we can end this argument the, right the, now. Let's, let's yeah. move on. Let's move on. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Um, yeah, let's move on to something a lot more fun, Iowa basketball. Um, just minutes removed from Iowa's fifth loss in Big Ten play. They're 0-5. Mm. Um, Drake's the only team in the state of Iowa that has a win in conference play, by the way. Yikes. Uh, Iowa is 0-5, Iowa State's 0-3, and Northern Iowa is 0-4, and Drake is 4-0. But uh, anyway, that's um, I'm, I'm kind of projecting elsewhere. Let's stick with Iowa here. It is... Gosh, unmitigated disaster, is that too strong? This team is so not where I thought they'd be. We've already talked. I don't want to keep repeating myself because I could every time I grab the microphone. I was got guard issues, and that's not going to change in season. But you don't have to have the defensive issues that they have. And I think McCaffrey made a mistake way back in October by not realizing that this team was going to be struggling um, playing man-to-man defense because of the guard issues. And just commit yourself to be a zone team and, and run multiple zones. Run two threes, run one three ones, run some matchup. But be a zone team because you don't have enough quickness on the perimeter to be a man-to-man team. But didn't do that. And now they're trying to be a zone. They're trying to play more zone, and they suck at it. They are a horrible zone team, and it's 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 horrible. Their offense, or, or their defense rather, is just pathetic. And, and frankly, on offense against Iowa right now, until until you know Isaiah Moss had a career high twenty five points tonight, but I think in the other four Big Ten games he had twenty three combined. Uh-huh. I mean. Double-team Tyler Cook when he gets the ball in the paint on the block and overplay Jordan Bohannon extended when he crosses the midcourt line. And that's pretty much all you got to do on, on defense against Iowa. This is this is bad. This is really bad. And, and it's, it's really surprising how I, – I get that I should have seen the guard thing coming, and I should have. But 0-5 when you've played Indiana, Penn State – a Maryland team that is, you know, not what they were. They're a solid team, but they're not what they were. Um, you know, Michigan's okay, 
not they're maybe top 30 team, top 35 team. Ohio State's probably better than I thought, but still, 0-5, that's horrible. It's horrible. And I I watched a lot of Iowa basketball this week, two full games, Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, turned Tuned in tonight, right as Iowa was taking a three-point lead midway through the second half, I'm thinking, okay. And then I watched Maryland go on a 15-2 run right after Iowa got that three-point lead. And I watched Tyler Cook get a technical foul for getting taunted. That was an interesting call, to say the least. Um, and Maryland, aren't they a basketball school? Because I think there's more people in my man cave right now than there were at that game tonight, brother. I mean, that was... It's Christmas break, man. Students are... Yeah, that was a friends and family plan. Well, because, you know, there's just so much to do in College Park, Maryland in January. And I know they lost a couple of starters, but, you know, that's still a 13-4 and four pretty decent basketball team. I, I thought that crowd was abysmal. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know Iowa basketball, and I hate to sound selfish, but watching the, down the stretch tonight, and I'm like, how the hell are we going to do this show for the next three months? I mean, this is – it's brutal. It's brutal to watch. It is it's, – it's kind of the opposite – of the Licklider era when we used to, you know, rag on them for, you know... Ruining, ruining our so TVs, slow. yeah. Yeah, it was like you'd catch them on Nick at Night. Whiteburn, yeah. Matt Gatons, this, this Coley is Payne. Yeah, this is this is YMCA basketball. It's up and down. Uh, it, Tyler Cook is unstoppable and, and plays too much hero ball at the same time. Can't blame and him. It's, uh, it's, it, can't, I can't blame him. I'm not blaming him. Uh, and it's you got him defense, as I like to call it. Okay, you know there's a lot of point. And you got this guy, you got this guy. Meanwhile, shot jacked up. You know what? It, it's the opposite of Lick Lighter. If Lick Lighter was a game for peach baskets, this Iowa is a rec league. It's just up and down the court, and it's it, defense is consistently optional. That's the one consistent uh, aspect of the defense. Um, you could see from the very beginning the experience of putting Bohan in the point, which was done obviously out of necessity. But you're taking away his best asset as by far your best perimeter shooter, uh, and it and it you're just you're getting the sense that it's just a lost season with what's happened with McCaffrey, you know the 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 kind of thing like the crazy technical on on uh, Cook tonight that gets him fouled out of that game with you know a good portion of the second half. Still to go. It, it just, it just feels like it's just one of those years that it's not. It's just not your year. Now, I, I don't know what it means going forward for the program. I'll say this: zero and five in this Big Ten. I don't know how good it is. You know, get into more of this in the Bigger Ten podcast. I, I, I don't think you'll. I, I think best case scenario, five teams get in the NCAA tournament. More likely, as it stands right now, I think you're looking at four. And 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 0-5 in this league. And I agree with you about what you said. I, I, think, I think Michigan and Ohio State are both probably top 30 teams, but I think there's like 50 top 30 teams, if you know what I mean. Sure. Okay? Sure. And and I don't, I don't think it's a great year of college basketball. I think, you know, Kentucky is not – as uber dominant physically as we've seen, uh, North Carolina's feeling some losses. 
you want to talk about a team that doesn't play any defense at all, watch Duke basketball. That's got to be driving Mike Krzyzewski nuts. That's a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans. They'll let you get any shots you want as long as they get their shots. Well, chances are by the time we get to March, they'll figure out how to play defense because it's Duke. But but there, there, there really isn't a team that I can think of that doesn't have some serious issues. I mean, that effort that Michigan State put on the floor today against Ohio State was soft, man, soft. I mean, they got punched in the mouth about the 10-minute mark of the first half, and they just decided let's just stay down because we're never getting back up. They never really even challenged at all, and Ohio State's probably their best facilitator offensively is Dockage's kid who was a walk-on for us who was a grad transfer at Ohio State. So, you know, there's some year it's never good to be 0 and 5 in the league. This is a bad year to be 0 and 5 in the league. And and in past years, there's no way Iowa loses both those Michigan and Ohio State games at home. And those games were not competitive. Either one of them for long stretches, too many stretches. And those are home games back against the wall. You thought the team, the way they finished the non-conference, maybe they stabilized a little bit, but no. And I don't know what it means about the future of the program going forward. You and I have had this conversation uh, the too many times during uh, Fran, the you know the, the the during Fran's time here. I don't understand how a guy with East Coast ties can't find you more guards. It's strange. You know, you would think a program like Iowa, which doesn't produce a lot of its own in-state talent, would struggle to find bigs. And, and you know, guards are plentiful everywhere. I, I don't know why you can't get them to come to Iowa, particularly with the style of play. I mean, you you know, it's, you know, hey, get up and down the court. We want to score. It's an entertaining brand of basketball. I, I, I don't get why you have struggled to consistently get and recruit guards at this school. It makes no sense to me at all. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, he had a, a far better backcourts at Siena and – I think that he's he's been in on a lot of good point guards, and he's been on point guards that that he's identified before other people have, and he's really good at that. But all too often, when they miss out on option one, two, and three, option four is the best player available, regardless of position. That's how you have like nine forwards on your team. That's how this last recruiting class, when you didn't have a point guard, a true point guard on your whole roster, you take two 6'11 guys and Jack Nungy and Luca Garza. Um, or it's a, it's a project like Christian Williams was and like Macy Daly was. Now Daly's rounding into something that I'm glad he's on the team. He's not a point guard either. I mean, this is going to be a, the same problem next year unless they get a grad transfer, a JUCO, or if Macy Daly can miraculously play the point for you. And I'm not sold on any of those three things happening. And it is a lost season. And what is, interesting is not the right word. It's a lazy word. Fran McCaffrey, obviously he, you know, before he came to Iowa, he was known to have a temper. And a temper is neither good nor bad. It just is what it is until it begins to, you know, adversely affect things. Now, I'm not in the locker room, so I can't sit here and tell you what I think the players are thinking. Um, but, you know, a couple of nights ago, the, la- the last game at home, when the Iowa scorekeeper 
mm-hmm. messed up and had the wrong score on the scoreboard for 10, 15 seconds. And McCaffrey went over and slapped the scores table and basically was complaining that they had the score wrong. That is jumping the shark for me. You don't, you don't do that. And I had, and I, I tweeted these things, and I had a number of people say, "John, they're horrible. They do that all the time." So effing what? Because you know what? It's going to get corrected. It's going to get corrected. B- just because it's there's one or two points difference on the scoreboard in the first half, it makes no. It has no impact. It has no impact on the game. It just means that Fran is gripping. When you are complaining about things like that, when your team is playing, you guard them defense, as you put it, you got them defense. You're 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 thinking about the wrong things. You're thinking is stinking, and that's how you go from being fiery to being an out of control person who has anger issues. And. The two technicals against Maryland, frankly, that was garbage. That was one of the worst officiated games I can recall. But it's not the reason why Iowa lost. But McCaffrey was, you know, they didn't call a flagrant two, which they should have. On um, Iowa set a pick. Uh, Cordell Pemsel set a pick. Bohannon hits a shot. And Cordell Pemsel was elbowed in the back of the head clear as day. And yep. then the very next possession down there, there was a loose ball. Bohannon's going to get it. Looked like Bohannon got knocked over, and they called a travel on him. And that's when Fran came out onto the court. And the referee from across the court saw Fran come out. He was also the guy that called the travel on Bohannon. He teed up Fran. This is from across the court. Mm-hmm. Bo Borowski, who Fran is just – it's oil and water with he and Bo Borowski, did not see the other official from a, all the way across the court from him as well, did not see that he'd called a technical on Fran uh, a second and a half before. He called a technical on Fran for Fran doing the same thing, coming out onto the court. So I don't think there should have been two technicals. But still, when, when, when you have to be held back by your staff running on the court, that's a problem. You're you're growing. What, what are you going to do? Go swing at somebody? I mean, Woody Hayes tried that. See how it works for you. So it's and, and would would these things even be coming up if Iowa were four and one or five and zero? Oh? No, he'd still be fiery Fran probably. So yeah, is there a little hypocrisy in it? Yes, but he's playing in traffic. He's doing things that he doesn't need to do in a season where he better not do them because that's going to become the story. And, you know, I would say this. I don't think Fran's really had anybody transfer out of the program all just yet because of, you know, his temper that we see. Because I think the other, the vast majority of the time the players are with him at practices, etc., they know he's somebody who fights for them. Does he yell and scream? Yes. Um, but, man, it's just kind of wearing thin in a year like this. I think... The key phrase there is in a year like this. I, I think that when when the team is doing well, most people look at everything you just said and say, and that's why the team's doing well. The guy's on it. He's fiery. No detail escapes his grasp. He's even He even knows when the scorekeeper's wrong, okay? And when the team's not playing well, 
then this, it looks like gripping. And I think that we don't really know which it is, but it's indicative of it. It's somebody's temperament when they, when they're the new hotness. You're you have a coaching honeymoon, and and or the team is playing well. It's a shtick that you get sick of when those things are inverted. Mm-hmm. And the opposite is sure. true, and and that is that is where we are right now. I I, I don't know that I even have ever seen Bob Knight in his all his glorious heyday depant his own scorekeeper in his home gym. I I'd never seen anything like that ever, ever. Uh, so to, so I'm inclined to think that the frustration of this season is adding a layer of angst and orneriness to a guy with an already fiery personality. I, my my issue, if I were an Iowa fan, is fine. I, you know, I, I, I did. I used to do shows, you know, where people would call up and, you know, why is Kirk Ferentz just standing there? Why is Tom Davis just stand there? Um well, actually, Davis retired, was, well, fired right before I got started, but I used to listen to people call Marty yeah, and Miller. smiling and clapping. Yeah, why is Tom Davis just, he used to call Marty and Miller losing their minds. Why is Tom Davis just standing there? And it's because they, they knew their team was getting screwed by Bo Borowski and they wanted the coach to care as much as they do. In this case, the coach probably cares more than maybe you want him to. And I think the question I'd be asking if I were an Iowa fan is, what is this leading to? Where are we going as a program? All right. So, you know, Peter Jock's a great player. No doubt about it. The the one loss of Peter Jock, that's because when you essentially you had like 80% of the rest of your scoring back. So the, the one loss of Peter Jock is this. And I, I think that's where... You know, when you're this far into a regime, too, which means this is totally the roster constructed by the current coach, I think the question that needs to be asked is, where are we going with this? So it's not, so, you know, every once in a while you have a lost season. Okay. You have a bad year. You know, unless your name is Bob Knight or Mike Krzyzewski or some of those guys, you have a bad year. Duke's had a lost season. The year, you know, the year Coach K had the back surgery several years ago and, they end up having a losing record with an interim coach. It happens even to the best of them. But the question then becomes, where, where's the direction, where's the vision, so that we know when we're in the midst of it, and then two or three years later when we look back on it, we know that this was a lost season. How, what's the? Tell me what the facts are that doesn't tell you this is a trajectory issue as opposed to a lost season. And that's the question that Fran McCaffrey's going to have to answer the next couple of months. Yeah, and one other aspect about his temper, and I brought this up before, so I'm not just doing this in a in a lost year. Is it hurts the, it hurts the Iowa competitively, in my opinion. His repeated outbursts. I mean, oh, there's Bo Borowski. He's officiating Iowa's game tonight. Oh, that's going to be trouble. Oh, there's Gene Steratore. He's officiating Iowa's game tonight. That's going to be trouble. There's multiple of those. 
Now, how, how many? How often do Michigan fans say that about John Beeline and whomever is officiating the game? Zero times. I'll just answer it for you. Yeah. How, how, how often does that happen with most coaches in this league? Zero times. Zero times. But with Fran McCaffrey, because he has a reputation, and it's, it precedes him, they, those officials have rabbit ears. They are men, and they have power. And men that have some power don't like to be questioned by other men, regardless of their power. And you get a you-know-what contest going out there. And Fran McCaffrey's tirades hurt Iowa basketball competitively. I believe it puts them at a competitive disadvantage because they are out to listen for Fran and there will be a confrontation. And they are the arbiters and they are the judge and the jury. So I, I think we're kind of through the looking glass on that one too. Here's Here's the biggest concern I have. Because given my own temperament, I'm a little hesitant to criticize somebody for being too fiery. But but here's here's the concern I have. The concern I have is I don't see the consistent effort on the defensive side of the court. I mean, when you when I watched, and I'm really looking for that at home. I'm not so much concerned, you know controversial play, bang, bang play. So your best player gets his fourth foul. Then then there's an altercation that looks like it's totally one-sided. We, but we don't really know what Tyler Cook said, but I watched the replay 20 times. It looks like that was a crap technical foul on him. That stuff happens to you on the road in the Big Ten. You've heard me rail against college basketball officiating for years. It's easily the worst officiated sport in America is college basketball officiating. I'm not so much worried that the team folded up and wilted at that point. I'm much more concerned about all the you got them defense I saw at home against Michigan and Ohio State coming out of a holiday break where you ended on a high note in the non-conference and you've got two, at least historically, winnable games to start your conference season. I mean, when we do our Bigger Ten podcast, when I originally did my Big Ten projections, I had us losing that game to Iowa because we, like, never win at Carver-Hawkeye. We had, like, one win. I I think we've won there in, like, five or six years or something. Maybe it's seven years, 2011. Right? So, historically, Iowa, Michigan, and Ohio State at home are winnable games. You're not competitive in vast stretches of both of those games. And it's because there's no defensive, and other than the fact they don't rotate, they don't really communicate, and they don't, and, and they, and, and if they actually do stop the dribbler, if he makes one pass to the wing, it's a wide open shot. Other than that, I thought they played tremendous defense those first two mm-hmm. weeks, the first mm-hmm. two games. And so, uh, if, if that's my concern is, you know, Bob Knight might not have always had the most talented teams in the Big Ten, particularly in his latter years when he didn't really want to recruit that much anymore. But but you weren't going to punk his teams like that. You still knew when you went into Bloomington, man, it may not be the same teams with Alford and Daryl Thomas and Ricky Calloway. But when you if you walked out of there with a win, you were, you were like C-3PO thanking the maker because you knew. You weren't getting any calls, and they were going to guard you in your. They were they were going to know what venereal disease you had. They're going to guard you so close. What I what concerns me is your coach is over there losing his mind, ranting and raving, 
and it doesn't seem to translate to the intensity level nope. of the players on the floor. That's what I'm concerned it's about. A con- it's, a, it's a concern with a disconnect, for sure. For yes. Sure. Yep. We're, 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 I should be, the, the issue should be Iowa players are too chippy. Iowa players taking shots here or there, frustrated. We're not seeing that. Now, I'm not talking, I'm not calling for the Hawkeyes to be dirty. No, you're just talking about what the result would be if there's a connection. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I get you. No, that's a good point. Last thing and something you brought up, Steve. uh, Tom Rinaldi does great feature work for ESPN, and um, he, he did one of those this year with the Iowa Wave, and, and you had mentioned something that you wanted to talk about, and I don't want to stammer over it, so I'll let you go ahead and take it. No, I was heard, I, I heard him being interviewed over the weekend. You know, uh, Rinaldi does such a great job doing those. Uh, you know, Chris Conley used to do those, and he does them now. The the, the human interest stories uh, for ESPN, particularly with college football and basketball. And they asked him, um, I heard him being interviewed over the weekend, what the favorite story he did this college football season was from a human interest standpoint. And he said, hey, it's the um, it's the University of Iowa and the new tradition they started with the children's hospital there. And uh, he said that had the biggest impact on him personally of all the stories that Tom Rinaldi does each week during the season that has an impact on all of us. So... Uh, and he had a yeah. lot of nice words about the, to the Ferentz family for the amount of money they've given towards that initiative and, and everything else. So uh, it's not a substitute. You guys have heard me. If you listen to this podcast, or you listen to us on the radio, you've heard me rail for years. With You know, you've heard me use the line, no one ever gives you when our team sucks. The Our graduation rate is high discount, all right? So this is not meant to be a substitute for WNLs because we do this for WNLs primarily, not for human interest. And, and the hope is that you can do WNLs with the right human interest, but in a cold, colder than a witch's nipple, you know, day in January, when you're about ready to wonder why watch another two and a half months of Iowa basketball, if I just wanted to make that point just so we can all take a deep breath and, and, and put things in their proper perspective that yes, this season sucks, but, um, it's not the end of the world one way or the other. All right, good place to stop this installment of the HN Podcast. Coming up tomorrow will be the uh, debut of the Bigger Ten Podcast. What's that? Well, tune in. You don't have to do. You don't have to adjust your podcast dial. You'll be able to get that podcast right here in the feed that you're listening to this one on or via the website. No problems there. Coming up tomorrow. For Steve, I'm John. Thanks for listening.